Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. We're talking about the God questions, questions God asked in Scripture. For 34 straight years, two sisters, on average of two to three times a year, went to the gravesite of their other sister. On average of two to three times a year, 34 straight years, they would come, they would pray, they would lay flowers, they would try to straighten up the gravesite of their sister. 34 straight years. In 1998, after having gone there for 34 years, and in their 35th year, they went there, and one of the sisters said, you know, uh, this cemetery here at Greenwood is so unmaintained, and it's so dangerous that I think that we ought to look into moving our sister's grave moving her body to a a more well-maintained cemetery. And they agreed, and they saved up enough money, and they hired a crew to come in and dig down into their sister's grave. And there was nothing there. There was no casket. There were no bones. There was no corpse. And to this day, to this day, the body of Addie Mae Collins is missing. Now, that may not mean anything to us. We'd hate for that to be our own sister or family member. But Addie Mae Collins is a name that that we should not soon forget. We really shouldn't. Because on Sunday, on Sunday morning, September the 15th, 1963, she and three of her teenage friends, ages 11 to 14, were attending Sunday school at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, when a planted dynamite went off. killing four girls. One of them was Addie Mae Collins. They would have her funeral a couple of days later. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would actually speak at her service, and they buried her in the Greenwood Cemetery in Birmingham, Alabama. She had a single little primitive marker that said Addie. Until a couple of decades later, an attorney decided to purchase for her a marble monument.
and her sisters would go to that monument, that grave, two to three times a year, every year for 34 years. Her body is no longer there. I don't know if anybody asked them this question. It certainly is a question that that was asked by two other women who went to a cemetery one day. And the question was this, why do you seek the living among the dead? Luke chapter 24 is another case of two ladies going to a cemetery expecting to find a body. But they didn't. Beginning with verse 1 says this, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the women But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, When we go to the cemetery, we don't expect to come finding open tombs. We go to remember, to put flowers, to meditate, to pray, maybe to talk with a loved one whose body is there. But Lord, we just don't come expecting for the tomb to be empty. And yet, that's what these women found. And Lord, it, it, it begs a question, a question they heard from two men, two angels. It was, it was a God question that came from God through these messengers to these women. Why do you seek the living among the dead? We may think, Lord, that it's not a question that is relevant for us, but Lord, help us to hear you asking us that question today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These women had been following Jesus all the way from Galilee down to Jerusalem. Perhaps at least three different four trips uh, they had been with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. The, the gospel writers tell us that as Jesus and his disciples were going about ministering, it was the women out of their means who helped to support them on their way. And these women, after Jesus was crucified and placed in a tomb, they had come to the tomb early on Sunday morning to further anoint this body for burial. They were going to the cemetery. 
It was a trip to the cemetery. They had to wait until the Sabbath was over, which went from Friday night at 6 until Saturday night at 6. And then after that was over, they got everything ready. And early Sunday morning, they went to the tomb. They were in for a surprise, much uh, like the surprise that Addie Mae Collins's sisters found. Except they had been going to the tomb for 35 years by the time they went in 1998. And the tomb was dug up and there was nobody there. The situation was different. Granted, someone stole Addie Mae's body. In fact, they stole it. And we don't know where it is to this very day. The Lord's body was not stolen away, but the Bible tells us that he rose from the dead, that there was a great earthquake and there was a stone that was moved from the entrance of the tomb. And Jesus came to life, raised up from the dead by God the Father in order to give us victory over death and the grave. So the women come up after this has occurred. And they come up expecting that the stone is still covering the tomb. In fact, one of the gospel writers tells us that as they were approaching the tomb, they were discussing with themselves, you know, how, how in the world are we going to get this, this stone? We've, we've got all of the, the spices and the ointments and, and everything we need to anoint the body. But you know, one thing we forgot, to, we forgot to think about was, how in the world are we going to open this thing? And the Bible says that as they were discussing how to open the stone and they arrived at the tomb, they found, to their surprise, that the stone had been rolled away, which probably gave them great relief at first. But once they entered the tomb, they found that the body, which they were going to anoint, was gone. It was gone. And somewhere in that scenario, there were uh, two men, Luke says in verse 4, in clothes that gleamed like lightning. They were shining like a strobe light. And these men began to ask the women questions. Most notably is this question, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you seeking the living among the dead? It's a strange question, I think. It's a thought-provoking question when you really start digging into it, but it's a strange question. It's strange because these women weren't looking for the living among the dead. They were looking for the dead among the dead. They weren't looking for a living Savior. They were looking for a corpse. And they had waited patiently until the Sabbath was over so they could come and anoint the body in its proper way according to Jewish custom. So what's with this question? Why do you seek the living among the dead? I don't see a response given to, by these women to this, these men. I, they could have said, what do you mean seeking the living? We're not seeking the living. We're, we're seeking a, a dead man's body. But they didn't give a response. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? It's almost like a question that wasn't meant for them. I mean, it was addressed to them, but it's almost like it really wasn't meant for them. Perhaps, perhaps it wasn't. Perhaps it was a question that was addressed to them, but really meant for us. 
Why is it that sometimes you and I seek the living among the dead? Let me pose to you uh, three questions. Three questions that I think are important in the context of this message. Question number one is this. In what way do we seek the living among the dead if we do that? How do we seek the living among the dead? And here's the answer to that. We seek the living among the dead when we look for hope in places where there is no hope. And to that extent, there's not a person in this room who's old enough who has not had the experience of looking for hope in places where there is no hope. You might as well be going to the cemetery. You might as well be going to the cemetery for a big party. You might as well, uh, at at, at football game time, go out to the cemetery for a tailgate party. It's not going to happen there. But we look for the living among the dead. We look so often for hope in places where there is no hope. Here's a second question. What are some of the places where we look for hope but find no hope? You might ask this question in a a turnaround kind of way. Where have I been looking for hope and there's no hope? Tell Tell me where I've been looking for hope. Many of us look for hope and pleasure. That has uh, been a predominant theme in, in our culture, pleasure. We look for hope amid pleasure. There's something about pleasure that we think is going to give us some reason to put another foot in front of another. And so it's, it's pleasure. For some people, it is entertainment. Some of us could not wait for the new fall television series to start up over the past couple of weeks because we're looking for some some teaspoon of hope amid entertainment. Recently, my pretty wife Amanda drugged me to a Keith Urban concert. We were in that concert, and there was a lady right beside me. Amanda was seated to my left. There was a lady right beside me, two women, infatuated with Keith Urban. I felt like the Lord. (laughs) Not really. The lady to my right, whom we had never met, never seen her before, she starts talking to us. She had been to somewhere around eight or nine different Keith Urban concerts in the past year as far away as on the other side of Texas. I don't know what's on the other side of Texas. And I'm thinking, you've been to eight or nine Keith Urban concerts? Now, I realize the guy's pretty. I realize he's pretty. Eight or nine of them? At about $60 a pop, I could think of a lot of stuff I could do for eight or nine times $60 a pop. I mean, I don't mind going to see him one time. I made sure that our tickets were clear on the other side of the stage from where he was. And then the rascal in the middle of the concert came over there and set up a little portable stage 12 feet from where I was. I felt like I was in lines then there for just a moment. 
Entertainment. We look for hope amid entertainment. Entertainment's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. I mean, we need entertainment, I think, in our lives. It's a matter of, is that where we are looking for our hope? For some people, it's notoriety and popularity. If you ever observe people long enough, it's going to be amazing what some people do to be seen and to be noticed and to make sure that they are heard. Because notoriety and popularity is the place where, where unconsciously they are placing their hope. For some people, it's their education. For some people, they're looking for hope amid wrong-headed religion. A religion that really, when you get to looking at it under a microscope, doesn't anywhere near resemble Christ the Christ we are called to follow. For some people, they're placing their hope in government. Oh, the government will bring God back in our, in our country. The government will bring God back in our schools. Since when? Many of these, by the way, were tried by a writer in the Old Testament, the guy who, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. His, uh, his book is, is a journal of a man trying to find hope In a world where there seems to be no hope. He tried pleasure. He tried education. He tried wisdom. He tried uh, relationships. He tried pleasure. And in all of them, when he came down to to the end of the day for each one of these things where he tried to find hope, he, he described them in this way. He said, they're like chasing thin air. He said, it's like trying to chase air with a fishnet. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why is it that we so often seek hope where there is no hope? That really is the question, isn't it? Why do you seek hope where there is no hope? And then it brings me to a third question. Where can we find true hope? Where is it that we find true hope? If it's not in pleasure and entertainment and popularity and notoriety and the government and education and wisdom and wrong-headed religion or anything else where we might try to find hope, if it's not in any of those things, where can we find true hope? I recall what Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes but for to steal and to destroy. But I have come that, I, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Who is the thief? Who is the thief that comes to destroy life? Who is that thief? Entertainment? Pleasure? Government? Education? Relationships? Wrong-headed religion, any of those could be the thief that steals. But Jesus said, in contrast to all of that, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Get this, if you don't get anything else. The key to finding hope is in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't ask me exactly how that brings hope. Don't ask me how the the mechanical details of, of all that work. All I know is this, that it is through Christ, through a relationship with Christ, that we have ultimate hope. You can be popular as anybody else in your class and not have hope. 
You can have more money than Warren Buffett and Bill Gates put together and not have hope. You can have the education of the head of the Human Genome Project and still not have hope. You can have friends out the gazoo so that your Rolodex goes all the way around without stopping and still not have hope. Hope is found in a relationship with Christ. And that relationship, that presence of Jesus is found in some wonderful, wonderful places. First of all, if you want to know where you can go to find Jesus, this, this, uh, this hope this true hope, we need to look into God's word. We need to look into the scriptures. God's word. The apostle Paul said this to to a young man named Timothy. He says this, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and been convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from an infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. In Christ Jesus. And then in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says this. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. When we go to the scriptures, we find the presence of Christ. I really think that ought to be the focus, our focus when we look to the scriptures. I'll tell you, we have been so distracted in the past half century especially... We would rather argue over what the Bible is than to obey what the Bible says. And we'd rather argue over what we think the Bible is than to pursue the Jesus who is in the Bible. It's in the Bible that we find this person, Jesus. It's in God's word that we can find this true hope. But we find it also not only in God's word, but in God's worship. The Bible tells us in Psalm 22, verse 3, that God inhabits the worship of his people. In other words, when we're worshiping, regardless of whether it's contemporary or traditional or blended or modern or what have you, even if it's cowboy worship. Listen, in worship, the Bible teaches us that God's presence is found Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, our Lord said this. He says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The presence of Jesus is found in his word. The presence of Jesus is found in his worship. And then third, the presence of Jesus is found in God's wonder. Don't you love fall of the year when the humidity starts to sink a little bit and the air is just crisp and you can smell the drying leaves when you go outside into the woods and the grass doesn't grow nearly as fast so you don't have to cut it every week? And you can get up, if you get up before the sun comes up and you look out through the windows on a clear night and you can see more stars than you've ever seen all year long and you look up and you say, wow, what a wonderful God God is. When, when we have that experience, we, we know a little bit about what the psalmist in, in uh, Psalm 19 said when he said, The heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows forth His handiwork. God's presence can be found in the wonder of His creation. 
where do we find true hope? God's word, God's worship, God's wonder, and God's work. God's work. Listen, don't lose sight, ladies and gentlemen. During the current climate that our nation is in, don't lose sight of this one thing. That when you and I reach out and we serve someone who is in need, we are actually serving the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture says. Jesus said this in Matthew 25. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I tell you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Part of our culture today says we need to just let the poor die. But that's not Jesus' culture. Part of our culture says we need to just forget about the poor because we have so many people who abuse our system. Sure we do. We, we have a, a food pantry out here that, that will, uh, depending on which week you're talking about, we may have 150 come, people come through there to get food. Many of them will ride a beat up old bicycle to get here. Some of them will walk here. Some of them have to have somebody drive them here in, a, in an old van without a side door. Some of them drive up in Lincolns and Mercedes and Cadillacs. But God help us if we decide to do away with our food pantry because there's a Cadillac in the driveway. You help people because it helps people. And when Jesus says we need to help the poor and when we need to reach out to those who are hurting, he says to us, not only are we doing a good thing, but he says, when you touch them, you touch me. Christ is present in Christ's work. Don't seek the living among the dead. There are so many places where we can look for full and abundant life. So many places where Jesus is so present. But it's in a close personal relationship with Christ that this whole matter of hope begins. Do you know Christ? Has there been a time in your life when you invited him to be your savior? Really, truly. Can you tell anybody about it? Could you turn to the person next to you? No, I won't ask you to do that this morning, put you on the spot. But could you actually turn to the person next to you and say, let me tell you about the time I received Christ. Let me tell you about my own salvation testimony. Can you? If the Bible is true, that testimony will be the most important thing that will ever happen to you throughout your entire life. Don't you think that if it's that important, you and I ought to be able to tell somebody about it. In April of 1882, after a 20-year career of bank robbing and train robbing and killing folks right and left, Jesse James was killed by a single bullet that was shot from behind his back in his living room by a fellow by the name of Robert Ford. Robert Ford had come to talk with Jesse James about joining his gang. But little did James know it that the governor of Missouri had put out 
an award, a reward for the head of Jesse James. And Robert Ford was much more interested in that reward than he was being a part of the James gang. And so he killed him. Jesse James's mother was afraid that if she let her son's body be buried in a regular cemetery, that people would come by. They might steal the body and put and start taking it around like a circus museum. People, people paying to see the body of Jesse James. And so she had him buried on their farm so she could watch over it. After she died, some of his friends had Jesse James' body disinterred and then it was moved to a cemetery where it stayed. And time passed. In 1951, there was a fellow who went by the name J. Frank Dalton. He was about 103, 104 years old. He was on his deathbed, and he claimed that he was the real Jesse James. And he said, just to prove it to you, he said, I will relate to you some stories that only Jesse James would know. And he did. And he said, not only that, I'll show you some bullet wounds in my body that if you know anything about Jesse James, you know that he also experienced. And he said, These, the, me knowing the private stories and me having the bullet wounds exactly where Jesse James was supposed to have them proves that I am the real Jesse James. He says, in fact, on the day that Jesse James was supposedly killed, He said, Jesse James killed another guy who looked a lot like him, and he swapped out names. And he said, so the real Jesse James continued to live, and he said, that would be me. And he said, I took this name, J. Frank Dalton, so nobody would come looking for me. But he said, before I die, I want you to know that I am he. I am the real Jesse James. And a couple of weeks after making that proclamation, J. Frank Dalton, a.k.a. the original Jesse James, died and was buried. And his family went to court seeking permission to put on his tombstone the, the, the tomb of the original Jesse James. And they got permission. You can go to his grave, J. Frank Dalton, the uh, tomb of the original Jesse James. But Jesse James's old family, the family that that had uh, that, that buried the uh, the original guy who we thought was Jesse James, who now is in dispute. They didn't like it, and so they went to court. And they asked the court to go down to a cemetery in Kearney, Missouri and dig up the remains of who we thought was Jesse James and do what was at that time brand new. Let's do a DNA test. And so they went to court. They spent this money to get permission. The court gave them permission and and a, a crew was hired. They went out to Kearney, Missouri, the cemetery. They started digging down into what may have been the grave of Jesse James. And when they pulled up the casket, everything fell out the bottom of it. There were bones. There was a little bit of hair. There was a tie clip. The family gathered most of the stuff together and put it in a box to keep it secure. Some investigators said, can we have just a little bit of the hair? 
And they took just a little bit of the hair and they did DNA testing, compared it with the family members uh, that they knew, we knew were from the James family. And it was concluded that that the body that was in that cemetery in Kearney, not J. Frank Dalton's, but the one in Kearney, Missouri, was 97% sure to be Jesse James. And then they put it back. Why seek the living among the dead? Why waste our time looking for hope in places where there is no hope? True hope is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a dead place. It's not a place with a corpse. It's not a place where the bones fall out from under the casket. It's a place where there is no body because the body has been raised because Jesus Christ is, is seated at the side of the Father in heaven and he's making intercession for us even now because we serve a risen Savior. Where is your hope? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, so many times we look for answers where there are none. So many times we look for hope where there is none. But Lord, I pray that you would hear your, help us to hear your word one more time this morning when you tell us that true hope is found in a relationship with Christ. Lord, I pray for anyone who's here this morning who has never invited Jesus Christ into their heart to be their Savior and Lord. I pray, Lord, that someone here today would make that decision to begin a relationship with you. Lord, I pray for people throughout our congregation. Lord, there, there, may, be other, uh, there may be other concerns on people's hearts that they want to bring to this altar to pray about that have nothing to do with the sermon I preached this morning. Lord, may our altar be open for people to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.